From the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, this is Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. Injured in Georgia? Make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. Injury Insider is presented by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs. Hello and welcome to Injury Insider with Derek Hayes on Business Radio X. We are broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio in the Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. This show will answer legal questions and debunk personal injury myths with insight and expertise. For nearly 25 years, Derek Hayes has exclusively represented injured parties in Georgia. Now he'd like to put that knowledge to work for you. My name is Lita Brooks, and it's my pleasure to introduce the star of our show, Derek Hayes. Good morning, Derek. Good morning. You made it, make everything sound so good to start out the show. Well, thank Expertise you. Expertise, 25 years, it's great. You're the smartest person I know. Your so, expertise on this show is is beyond. I have a law you, degree. You said I'm the what? You are the truly what? the smartest person I know. <laughs> okay, I will well, I will you. say that with Declan. I'm going to get and you likewise, a plaque for you Christmas. Are for me. Absolutely. No, I do not when it comes to law. Not this. I may be smart in my own career, and that's great, but... Not like this. So that is why this is a very popular show. We're going to get to that in a second, right? That's a little teaser for an announcement that we have. But before we get to that and before we begin, a quick reminder that Injury Insider is brought to you by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs, and by the law office of Derek M. Hayes. Injured in Georgia, make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. All right, let's get started. In the last podcast, you answered some of the most common questions about personal injury claims. It was very interesting to hear your answers from a legal perspective because most people don't know about the things you discussed. I know I don't. That's what makes this fascinating. Yeah, and there were the common questions I get at the office from clients or people calling for the first time. So that's what formulated that that specific podcast. Well, I love this platform for you because you're really giving this knowledge to the masses. And it was terrific advice when you explained it. And I hope everyone goes back to listen to that show if you missed it. Um, That's all I can say. I mean, every show, right? We have plenty of shows out there and they are all equally as informative. Before we get to today's show, I heard that Injury Insider with Derek Hayes hit a major milestone recently. Can we talk about that? Yes, we can. Yes. All right. You share your news. Well, it was a tremendous honor. We uh, have now hit over a million downloads for Injury Insider, which is terrific. I love that. The studio audience is right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, people, you can sit back down again. You can sit down. But over a million downloads, and the great thing is we started this in February of 2020. We're now in December of 2020. And we even tape shows during the corona shutdown. Correct. And the shows aren't done weekly. They're not done daily. It's every other week. So in that period of time, probably 21, 22 shows, somewhere around there, over a million downloads, which is amazing. Not only that, but we have uh, more and more feedback coming in through the website. Mm -hmm. Uh, My law firm website, we'll talk more about it later, but it's DerekMHayes.com. 
the uh, podcast uh, tab on there, I'm, I'm getting more questions, more comments. That's great. Which is great. Yes. It's, it's, People are engaging. Clearly, they're Correct. listening. Over a million downloads. And we do have the Instagram page now for Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. And we're now uh, seeing a tremendous growth in the followers. Good. Well, page, congratulations. So. Well, thank you. And a Facebook page as well. Yeah. Well, you built all that because the show really took off. Sure. And I know, of course, that's why anyone would want to do this. But I think the rapid growth was unexpected. Yes, and before we go to the next part of this, uh, as you host my show, I host your show. And I'm going to plug yours real quick, Aww. too. Her show is Status Life with Lita. If you've not listened, I encourage you to do it. Um, uh, it's amazing, the insight, the advice, the um, just the, the information that's come from that. Her hashtag is Design Your Life, and it's tremendous. All the, the things that you, I've learned as, as the host of the show uh, not only for men, but but for women as well. Primarily, I think the show is intended to be for women, and it's kind of yeah. evolved to where I'm it really all kinds has. Of I know as well. that was very unexpected for me with that show. So I am a lifestyle podcaster and blogger. Uh, I'm an interior designer by trade, but it's really transformed into the lifestyle arena. And it, yeah, just amazing. So we each have a show. Yes. And if you're listening and haven't picked up on this by now, let's say this is your first show. Derek and I are a couple. So I am the host of Derek's show. He is the host of my show. And it really works. Yeah, and, and again, it, you and know. Collectively, we're over 2 million. Plus, Correct. it's like 2.2, yeah. 2.3 million, I think it is, somewhere around there. Downloads. 2 million hits. Yeah, yeah, collectively between your show and mine. So we both are enjoying that success, which is great. To we do it are. together. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. It has. it's it's been an interesting venture. So, and you know, our careers don't really mesh. You know, we mesh wonderful as a couple. But you know, Derek is an attorney, a personal injury attorney. I'm an interior designer, and I own a retail store and an interior design firm. And now I have a blog and a podcast. And an online store. And an online store, yes. And so I have all these different ventures uh, that all make up status. My business card just says the status companies because there is quite a bit. But this is one way that we really get to come together yes, and yes. kind of cross our careers a little bit. So this is Injury Insider. We are on the legal show. So thank you for <laughs> yes. the plug. I appreciate that. I, yeah, I, would, I hope everybody will check your show out. It's great. Well, thank you. And yeah. Lita is L-E-T-A. Lita. Not like Lita, L-I-T-A, Lita Ford, the musician. Not like Lita. Or Lita, or Lita. We're, we tape here in Georgia. Everything's Lita. Yeah, exactly. Lita. So, anyway. Well, so I appreciate that. Thank you, thank you. Uh, at the end of the show, we're going to tell all the listeners how they can find you and ask questions. We encourage that. If we say something today that sparks a question that you have, please go to Derek's website and ask. And we try to get to all the questions in future shows. All right, what are we going to talk about today? Well, before we go into the topic of the day, I do want to take time to answer a question that I received on my Facebook page. I mentioned that a few minutes ago. I've sure. got lots of uh, feedback there and even some questions through that. But a very good friend of mine from back in high school when I lived in Panama City, Florida, asked me a question about Georgia personal injury law. He's an attorney in uh, Metro Miami um, down there in, in South, South, South Florida. Terrific attorney. And um, Georgia and Florida are, are really completely different when it comes to personal injury law. Georgia has its approach to personal injury claims, and Florida is what we call a no-fault state. I'm not going to go into that today, but uh, I've personally handled many cases over the years in Florida, and I've learned a, an awful lot about it and what to look for when it comes to coverage, evaluating claims, and how the claim is to be presented in Florida. But in Georgia, one of the things that's different is we have something called a limited liability release. 
And his question to me on the Facebook page, he wants me to explain the basics about what a limited liability release is and how it works. Because Florida doesn't have that. Okay. Well, I sure don't know what that means. I'm guessing many of our listeners don't either. So jump right in, Derek. What is the answer? Okay. Well, when you settle a claim, no matter what state it is, Georgia, Florida, any other state, the insurance company that you're settling with will require you to sign something that we refer to as a release. Uh, the release is simply their way of closing their books on the claim with the company. Uh, it acknowledges the incident. Um, it, it acknowledges the fact it's been resolved. It prevents you from going back later on to that same insurance company and saying, hey, pay me more money. It also prevents them from coming back to you later on and saying, hey, we paid you too much money. Give us some back. Okay. So it closes the door effectively with the insurance company as far as the claim is concerned. And there are two basic kinds of releases here in Georgia. One is known as a full or also referred to many times as a general release, and the other is the limited liability release that he's asked about. Okay, so how do each of them work? Let's break these down. All right, we'll start with a full release. A full release, or sometimes, like I said, referred to as a general release, is intended to completely end the claim and, and this is the key, any other potential claims arising from the same incident. It prevents you from going after any other policy or even other any other negligent party. So if you've signed a general or full release, you've closed out the claim in its entirety. So if there's a defect with the way a roadway is designed and you're in a car wreck and you only go after the person that caused the wreck and you've signed a general release, it can preclude you from going after the road design as another potential claim to get additional recovery. Um, it's final. At that point, your claim is done. Uh, it'll many times include language specific saying any known and unknown claims. So when you've signed off that, on that general or full release, that, that uh, release that does close the door, again, you've, again, closed the door for yourself or anybody else um, that, that may have been involved in that claim on the defense side. Um, you need to consult with an attorney. I say this all the time prior mm -hmm, to signing absolutely. a full or general release because it typically can't be undone. So, you know, for me, just call my office. I'll be happy to discuss it with you. Um, you may very well be walking away from from another substantial amount of money or recovery from another at-fault party if you sign a general or full release. All right. Well, I have a question here. If I've signed the release, not exactly knowing what I was signing, let's say I just, you know, I didn't understand the language, the insurance company just sent it to me, and then I decide hey, can you interpret this for me? Or I'm, I'm pretty far into this and I don't know what I'm doing. Now I want to call you. Is it too late? Yes, If I've already signed yes. the release, it's done. I it, can't, you can't bring you in at that the point. The law refers to it as acting at your own peril. If you've signed that release, the understanding is that you understood what you signed. And usually it's notarized. And that's sworn affidavit basically in front of a, a notary authorizing or, 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 or notarizing rather your signature. And also the fact that, that you've, had a chance to review that document. So uh, before you sign any release, just call my office. And more importantly, call my office long before because it's important early on to set up these other collateral claims that may still be there. Uh, you know, I mentioned a car wreck. Well, a lot of times people look at the car wreck itself, but don't consider the road defect or the road design. As, as an example, if a road does not drain properly, and there's a tremendous thunderstorm and it washes across the roadway and it causes another car to hydroplane and hit you. And the designer of the road either knew or should have known that the design defect in the roadway would create a hazardous condition and did nothing to prevent it. Well, that's a potential claim that you could pursue against the designer of the road. I would have no idea. And most people call don't. Call the expert. 
call the attorney. I can't say it enough. Yeah, the 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 tire tread cases that uh, Mm -hmm. came from the Goodyear tires. Uh, those tire tread cases led to a lot of wrecks, awful lot, and unfortunately a lot of loss of life. Wow. And had someone Sad. signed off on a general or a full release and did not investigate the the tire tread separation part of the claim, then they could have closed the door, likely did close the door, on that other uh, collateral claim that would have been more substantial. So we have... The other one that you mentioned, limited liability release. I'm just guessing that works differently, so explain that one to us. Yes, it is different, and it's explained specifically in Georgia Codes under uh, 3324.41.1. Anybody wants to look that up, go for it. Uh, But the limited liability release, it it really only closes the book as to the specific at-fault party listed in that release and their insurance company. Um, It allows you to continue to pursue any additional recovery, from any other policy. Um, so if there's other coverage out there, other at-fault parties, and you've only signed a limited liability release as to the driver of the car, you've still given yourself the opportunity to pursue those collateral claims, those other claims that may be there. All right. Can you give, I can't even, can you give us an example? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that's the best way to understand this. Yeah. And there, there are countless examples in roughly 25 years I've done this of where a limited liability release is extremely important. Let, let me kind of just create one. And okay. this is a common example. I could give you 10 dozen clients that have faced this exact uh, situation. So in Georgia, the minimum coverage anybody is required to carry is 25000 per person, 50000 per occurrence, meaning that if they have minimum coverage and they hit you, and let's say, for example, you wind up with a surgery and your medical bill is $80,000 and their coverage is only a maximum of 25000 per person, the in- insurance company the, for the at-fault driver, uh, they agree to go ahead and pay their 25000 They see uh, you know, a, a significant injury, 80000 in medical bills. Their coverage caps out at 25000 They're going to go ahead and say, all right, here's our twenty five grand. we are agreeing to tender that, that money. Well, if they send you a general or a full release and you sign off on it, well, guess what? You've closed the door. That's it. Uh-oh. Once you've accepted that twenty-five grand, you have signed off on that release, well, you've closed the door. Okay. So if you take this example further and, and you have what we call UIM coverage, underinsured motorist coverage, on your own personal car insurance policy in your household, and let's say you have 100000 per person, 300000 per occurrence, and add-on coverage. Add-on means you take that 100000 per person and you add it on top of the 25000 in liability coverage. You would have had up to $125,000 in coverage you could tap into. So if you did sign off on a general or full release at twenty five grand, well, you walked away for another $100,000 through your own personal policy. Yeah, and the insurance company is sure not going to tell you it's there. No, they're, they're no. not required to take you by the hand right. and walk you through the process, and they're not going to. No, they're going to send you a check for twenty five pocket. And, and think in these terms, especially if it's the same insurance company on both sides. Mm-hmm. So the person that caused the wreck is represented by company ABC, ABC Insurance. And you also have ABC Insurance. And they have 25000 per person, 50000 per occurrence in liability, and you have 100000 300000 in UIM add-on, I can guarantee you ABC Insurance mm-hmm. Company is going to go ahead and pay that twenty five and send you a full or general release, knowing full well that they would have exposure with another $100,000 through your own policy. So with that being said, that's a perfect example of where a limited liability release comes into play. I would demand as the attorney and and know the language to look for, and that's key, in the limited liability release to make sure that we protect your ability to go after that extra money. 
And more importantly, I'm not going to get deep into it, but there are ways that I can avoid having to even sign any release until the entire claim is resolved. Uh, but insurance companies can put the words limited liability release at the top of the page, and you may see that, but the content of the actual release may still close the door. Just because they've titled it that way does not mean the language inside that release says what it needs to say. You call it the magic language. So their phrases, their terms, their mm-hmm. things that I need to see in that release before I advise and more importantly allow my client to sign off on it. Plus, I can still investigate other claims that you may not have known about. Like I said, I referenced right. the road design. That's a perfect example. You know, think about as we're in the winter months, um, a roadway where, or not even a roadway, let's say a private business that have sprinklers that are uh, set to come on at two o'clock in the morning every night and go from two o'clock to four o'clock and they don't turn them off and they're aimed in such a way that they get on the roadway well think about it 20 degree weather 10 degree weather mm-hmm. now that you have an ice water hazard. Sure. freezes and they've now created a hazard especially black ice which is prevalent here in georgia and you can show that there was negligence involved in creating that hazard so, you know, if you'd signed off on a general or yeah. full release. You have no knowledge. That's right. No recovery. So call it, an attorney. Can't yeah. say it enough. It's, call it's Derek. A, Don't call right, an attorney. Right. Call Derek. Call me. Right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful tool from my perspective as an attorney, and I am very glad that Georgia law allows it. So, Garrett, my buddy from Miami, I hope that helps. If you have any other questions, just call me. He and I chat frequently, so we, we've talked a little bit about cases in the past. Yeah. And, so, uh, well, that was a great question, and I'm glad he submitted that. And again, if anyone else has a question to submit, uh, www.derekmhayes.com. Click on the podcast app, and it'll take you through the steps to be able to submit your question. And you can always call the office, too. I yes. mean, a lot of everything is digital nowadays, yes. but we will absolutely pick up the phone. So anyway, again, thank you so much, and I definitely hope that helps. But we have a main topic today. Yes, we do. All right, so jump into that. What's our main topic for the show? So today I want to talk about the process involved as your attorney, me as your attorney, in successfully negotiating a personal injury claim with an adjuster. It's the basic, uh, I guess you could say the basic responsibility as the attorney is to to negotiate a fair and, and just compensation settlement for their claim. Well... This is fascinating because this is going to go step by step. And this is the most important thing. You never know when an accident is going to happen. And I love this information. And I'm glad you're really going to break this down for us. Yeah. And again, these are questions I get daily. I I talk to clients every day. I'm on the phone with clients, a substantial part of my day. And um, I describe this in detail for clients when they call and when I talk to them. And I've just decided in the podcast to go ahead and kind of cover some of the very basic points. So this is a conversation. How many times a day do you have this conversation? Oh, easily five or six. Easily. That's a lot. Yeah, oh, it is. It is. Okay, so this is extremely relevant information. That's what I like about it. If you're giving this conversation over and over and over today on this podcast, we're going to give it to you guys. The mass is listening. I do want to point out, though, that what I'm talking about, it's not legal advice because I can't give specific legal advice to someone that I don't represent. And more importantly, I encourage you, you got to have an attorney involved. Uh, so going at this without an attorney opens the door to make many, many mistakes, kind of walk into those traps set by the insurance company. Uh, there's a famous Abe Lincoln quote. You may not know this. Attorneys, I don't. Most no. attorneys know this one. Okay. Abraham Lincoln, who was an attorney, he who represents himself has a fool for a client. I've heard that. Think about it. Yeah. You know, you, you, again, you're... you're if you represent yourself, even as an attorney, 
I still wouldn't represent myself because right. you're connected in uh, to the claim in such a way that that you can be blinded by certain things. Um, I have represented, I personally have represented attorneys before in their car wrecks uh, or other kinds of personal injury claims. So. Uh, again, it's imperative that you call an attorney, and more importantly, call me, yeah. uh, because this is not something that I would encourage anyone to try and do on their own. You can't do brain surgery on your own. You can't do heart surgery or neck surgery or back surgery. You really don't need to try and handle a personal injury claim on your own either. You need the expertise and the advice appropriate for what's going on with your situation. Every claim is different. All right. We'll jump into it. All right. Tell us where you start. So the goal should always be to try to settle the claim without filing suit. Okay. I think every attorney would agree with me on that. However, I will say this, many attorneys will file suit immediately upon signing up a claim. And the reason why they do that, and it's I know this just from being with right, you. Right, right. So generally on a contingency fee basis, which we all do the contingency fee agreements here in Georgia, the structure starts with 33 and a third, probably 95 to 98% of attorneys do 33 and a third percent without filing suit. If you file suit, the fee goes to 40%. And the reason it goes to 40 is the attorney time involved. Depositions, hearings, motions, calendar calls, pretrial conferences, mediations, trials, all those things that take attorney time. So far too often, attorneys will sign up a claim at 33 and a third, and within weeks, sometimes even days, they'll file suit and jump that fee from 33 and a third to 40%, even though they could have handled the claim and resolved it without filing suit and had a 33 and a third fee and more importantly had a very happy client mm -hmm. um, you know attorneys also can many times perfect their lien against any recovery when they file suit so some attorneys will do that to protect their fee which to me is is unfortunate you know you've got to be a zealous advocate for your client and make them the priority not your pocket um, so the goal should always be to try to settle the claim without filing suit the reality is that when you settle it, you've controlled the outcome. You've made the decision to accept, hopefully, the appropriate offer to resolve that claim. When you file suit, think about it this way. You've turned your fate over to six or sometimes 12 strangers that don't know you that are deciding what they think is appropriate for you. So as opposed to a controlled outcome where you can decide what mm -hmm. the amount may be in the process of settlement, you're, with blind faith, allowing six to 12 people you know, they could give you a very fair amount, a, a very appropriate amount, but they could also give you nothing at all. Right. Jurors do some really, really good things. And they all have to agree. Right. But right. they also I mean, can do some really, sure. really bad things. Sure. And that's the, that's the risk. And that's it. That's the risk. So statistically, as I said earlier, about 90 to 95% of cases can and will settle without filing suit. Now, that's not a guarantee at all. That's just a statistic. Okay. I hear you say this a lot. I'm going to give you one of your own quotes this is from Derek. It is my job to present your claim in the best light possible to maximize that recovery every single time. Yes. I do hear you say it. I had to write it down just because that is a long <laughs> sentence. But I have, I have heard you say that over and over again, just talking about your career and talking about this process. Right, right. And, and that's true. I mean, I, I use the puzzle analogy frequently with clients where... You dump the pieces on a table for a thousand-piece puzzle. You throw the box away. Nobody knows what that big picture is by looking at a pile of puzzle pieces. The big picture comes together as all those pieces are put in the perfect spot to create that best picture possible, that best light possible. So with that being said, it's a matter of putting together this case, this claim, mm -hmm. in such a way that it's in the best light possible to maximize that recovery. 
And some attorneys are extremely effective negotiators, and I, I hope to consider myself, and I, I do consider myself to be in that category, but there are other attorneys that, I, I jokingly say, can't even negotiate with someone at a yard sale. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, and that's true. Sure, I, it, sure. It's unfortunate, but that I've, I've seen and, and I've heard and I've watched. There, right. And I've taken over claims where other attorneys have attempted to resolve it, and the client got disgruntled and came to me, and... I looked through the file and, and realized, unfortunately, like I said, they couldn't even negotiate at a yard sale, yeah. much less with an adjuster. So it's a process that can be very frustrating at times, but it must be done correctly every time to produce the greatest results. Um, and, and I want to focus really on what separates my firm from others and how the process I have built is designed to maximize that recovery every time. So the results tell the story. If you simply go through the motions and not treat every client as if it was your own claim, your own personal claim, or your your spouse, your loved one, your child, then you're going to do a, a really a disservice for your client. I know you're such a zealous advocate. I know that about you, and you were talking about your negotiation skills, so I'll give you a plug. You are the 2019 Litigator of the Year. Well, thank I mean, you. you want to talk about your skills? <laughs> yeah. You are at the top my friend well i appreciate that Thank yes you. uh all right talk about the process where do you want to start so it really starts with the very first phone call and i know that sounds like it's a canned response but that's the truth it mm -hmm. starts with that first phone call so i will talk to everyone uh, every new or, or potential client uh, personally when the call comes in if i'm there i will grab the phone and i'll talk if i'm not at a meeting or a deposition or a hearing then you're going to talk to me. And if I'm not available when you first call, I assure you, I will be calling you back because I do want to talk to you. I want to understand every aspect of your claim and what, is, what it's done to you and your family. So a lot of times attorneys will read medical records and never talk to their client at all. They won't understand what the spouse is now having to do to take care of that injured client or the kids and how it's affected the family life or the income for the household. So I want to know. I want to understand exactly what's going on. And you know, we use the phrase zealous advocate, and, and that's it. That's the phrase to use. A zealous advocate must, must be that way through the entire claim, not just when it's time to settle or talk to a jury at a trial. Mm -hmm. You've got to start from the very beginning with that mindset and that approach. So I personally have a checklist of questions that I like to ask to investigate as thoroughly as possible from the very beginning. The reality is that we forget details as time goes by. I can't tell you what I had for lunch four, four days ago, five days ago. I could probably tell you about yesterday what I had for lunch, but we forget details pretty right. quickly about normal, ordinary things. As big as a car wreck may be in your life, you're going to forget certain details of that as time goes by. I don't want to miss those details. I want to talk to you from the very beginning. Hopefully you can call me within a, a day or, or a couple of days at the very most after your car wreck. And you're also looking for the angles and the details that we as you know, the person calling you, the client may not even know. Right. So right. you know, yes, we're going to forget, but we don't even necessarily know what we're looking for. Right. And things can disappear too. Yes. Evidence can disappear. Ooh, yeah. Facts can disappear. Eyewitnesses can disappear. All those things that again are, are going to make a difference in your claim. So it's ideal for someone to call me within a day or two of the wreck. I've said that, and I wish they would, so I can at least get involved. It doesn't mean I can't talk to them a week later, a few weeks later, even a month later. Or even after another attorney's been involved and they've gotten frustrated, but it's ideal for me to be able to get to them immediately to go ahead and start that investigation as a zealous advocate. Now, I want to know about what the where the wreck occurred, for example. I want to know uh, what time of the day, what the uh, weather was like, the light condition. Was it overcast? Was it sunlight? Was it winter? Was there ice on the road? I want to know where you were going. 
when you had the wreck. I want to know where you'd been. Were you on a time constraint? Were you on the way to work and running late? Or were you getting there early for a project of some sort? Uh, how often do you travel that route? Uh, what eyewitnesses were there? Did you talk to any at the scene? Did you get a name? Did you get a phone number? I want to talk to them. Because just like you're going to forget details three months later, four oh, months yeah. later, a year later when they get called to testify in a deposition, yeah, they're I gonna guarantee forget. you that eyewitness is going to forget certain details. Oh, God, that car was red. No, it was blue. Oh, man, I can't remember the intersection. I know it was somewhere in Gwinnett County or DeKalb County. I just don't remember where. They're going to forget those details. I want to talk to them right away. I want to go ahead and make notes. I want to mm-hmm. go ahead and send them a letter confirming the facts they've told me so that they will, again, sign off on what happened so that those facts don't get lost. That information does not get lost. I want to talk to the police officer, if necessary, uh, and the department that that, uh, investigated the claim. Um, Again, I kind of reference what type of vehicle that the person was driving is also important. Was it a big pickup truck uh, with an extended cab or big wheels on it, or was it a normal, ordinary sedan or a minivan? Uh, those kinds of things can also, too, lead to the kind of wreck it may be. A tractor trailer, a dump truck. Think about those kind of things. Um, what the other driver may have said to you at the scene. So if a driver causes a wreck and they get out of the car and they come up to you, and, oh, man, I am so sorry. Oh, I apologize. Well, under Georgia law, that's an admission against interest. It's admissible fact to prove liability. Man, my bad. I am so sorry. I didn't see you. That's an admission against their interest. So it can be admissible to prove that they caused the wreck, the negligence factor. I need to know about those kind of statements. I want to know about those statements. That's why I want to talk to you early on, because you may forget six weeks later what the the at-fault driver said to you. Um, So even though the negotiations with the insurance company really won't occur for weeks or sometimes even months later after your treatment's over and done with, Many of these early answers may be extremely important as those discussions start. So this is not 100% on topic, but what just made came to my mind was the other show that we did. I'm just going to throw this little snippet in there. If you are in a wreck, the best thing to do is get your camera rolling yes, immediately, yes. right? And those are all right. The cell phone. Tool. So if that at-fault driver comes up to you and has that admission, you absolutely want it either on video or have it down where you can hear him saying that. Yeah. Um, even if it's the opposite, even if they hit you and try to pass the blame on you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you turned too early and you're thinking, no, I didn't, you know. But again, just to have it recorded, let Derek sift through all that information. I was also, it reminds me of another story. I had a, a brilliant client and, and she was wonderful. She was hit by a truck, a tractor trailer, and it was on a residential or in a residential area. And after he hit her, he sideswiped her. After he hit her, he continued to travel and went about five miles from where the impact occurred before he stopped. And she got out of her car and she walked up and had her cell phone recording uh, audio, not video, but audio. And he got out of the truck and he was very apologetic. I was so afraid I was going to lose my job. I know I'm going to lose my job. This is the third time I've Uh done this. Oh, gosh. I can't believe it happened again. I didn't see you. Uh, I should have looked in my mirror. He made all of these admissions uh-huh. that, again, later on, he could have said, no, I didn't say that. I right. didn't say that. But it was recorded. It was his voice. So I got that recording from my client. And along with my demand letter, I sent a copy of that audio. And there it was, the admission completely made by their driver, the admission against interest, saying, oops, my bad. And, and more importantly, him saying, it's the third time I've done this. Right. Don't think for a second I didn't enjoy that part. I know. (laughs) 
I don't think his employer did when I'm sure no, that no. finally well, came out, the right? Employer in court or the employer or the insurance company. Yeah, right, whoever was one. settling that case. The employer was thinking, God, why didn't I get rid of Method the first time? Well, it sounds like complete attention to detail matters to you in how to handle the claims. So what happens next after you have started the initial investigation? So an effective attorney, uh, someone who, again, the zealous uh, advocate, I'll use that phrase. The law office of Derek M. Hayes. There you go. Must, and underline that word as many times as you need to, must understand their client's injuries and what it will take to get them the best treatment possible for their injuries. Uh, in the sense that if there is a need for uh, some additional care and they have no health insurance, they have no means of payment, I can help them find the provider necessary to address those specific concerns, orthopedic doctors, orthopedic surgeons, uh, whatever it takes, e even sometimes too, plastic surgeons mm -hmm. uh, for facial scarring or, or scarring that's uh, significant that needs to be uh, reviewed or what we call scar revision procedures or uh, treatments to address that. I, I can help them find those providers and make the connection for them to get in for that treatment. So clients are responsible though for going to their doctor's appointments. I can't go with them. And, and following through with the treatment plan that they're given is imperative. So I will lecture the client, and that's the phrase to use, to make sure they understand the importance of following through with the medical advice they give. I'm not here to practice medicine. I didn't go to med school. I hate the sight of blood. My blood's fine, but if I see your blood, I'm passing out on the floor. I do know so this about Derek. I could not do surgery. <laughs> he I, doesn't I, like his own blood. No. He I, says I, that, but he gets a little woozy. So I, I, really, I took four <laughs> years of Latin in high school. I took four years. Who does, who does that? I Somebody going to med Latin. school. Yes. Yes. Because I thought med school was in my future, but turns out it's not. You're a far superior attorney. Well, thank you. And, and Latin does come in handy because there's a lot of Latin in in uh, the legal terminology. So it did still help me out in my career. But anyway, so I, I, I can't go to those appointments, but I stay in touch with the client mm -hmm. through that process while they're treating so we can understand exactly what's going on and the severity of their injury as they're getting it treating. So when it comes time to send the demand letter after the treatment has ended to the insurance company, it's important for me to um, to understand those injuries, to, to know that they've all been addressed and they're all going to be referenced and and uh, um, you know part of their final medical records so if they have a broken wrist and that's the focus of the primary treatment but they also have a injured neck and back i want to make sure all that's addressed how do you get their medical records that seems like to me that would be a real bear trying it, to it track is. all this it down is. Um, it used to be that uh, you could just basically send a letter a letter of representation and say send me the records and the provider would you'd pay for the copies but they would send the records now we have what's known as hipaa right hipaa is the health insurance portability and accountability act it's a great thing though it really is because hipaa does not allow anybody to get your records you have to have a HIPAA form that allows you to order and receive those records. So I have a client sign HIPAA forms for me that we use to get their records. We order the records from everywhere they treat it. Uh, it's important for an attorney to know how to look for hidden bills. And what I mean by that is if you go to the hospital, some hospitals will issue a bill for the emergency room. They'll issue a bill for the emergency room doctor. They'll issue a bill for the ambulance. They'll issue a bill for the radiologist and the radiology group separately that does the x-rays or CT scans or whatever testing you may have. And they issue a pharmacy bill. That's one visit to an emergency room after a car wreck. And you may receive four or five of those bills as an attorney or even as the client and think you've gotten all of them. And if, you know, again, we know how to look for these hidden bills, if, if I don't look for those hidden bills and find them and the case settles, and the bill comes in after the fact, well, it's too late at that point. So we know how to find those bills that a lot of people don't know about or wouldn't consider. 
Uh, we also confirm those balances with the providers when it comes time to resolve the claim. I want to know what's still owed, uh, just as much as I do what the actual bill was, because they're what we call collateral sources. Health insurance, mm-hmm. med pay, uh, think about PIP, which is not in Georgia, but other states have PIP, personal injury protection. Uh, think about Medicaid, Medicare, TRICARE, all the other programs that are there to potentially pay those bills. All right. The medical records come, what, boxes, folders, manila envelopes, depending on the wreck and how much injury. Now what do you do? Okay. I wear glasses now because I've read thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of medical records for 25 years now. Thank God it's it's now more typed out than it's handwritten. Back when I first started doing this, you can't imagine how many oh, right. handwritten medical I mean, records I mean, that's a I joke was, oh, about doctors that God. you can't read what I, they write. I took depositions back years ago with doctors where I would I would literally hand them their own document and say, Dr. John Doe, I, I appreciate you being here to testify today. And I truly need your help first before we get into some of the, the content of, of what you have to say. But I need your help understanding what you've written. Right. And I would hand them a, a page and say, could you please, for the record, read what you've written here? And I'm telling you, I, I'm not exaggerating. There were doctors that would look at it and go, I really don't know what I wrote there. Sure. I really don't know what I wrote. Shorthand used to be a thing, too. Yeah, it's shorthand. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So they don't do that so much anymore. But Right. And they used to uh, uh, record their their comments on, mm-hmm. on uh, tape, and it would be transcribed by somebody else. And so sometimes uh, it didn't really mean what the doctor had said. It, it would oh, be yeah. misconstrued or, or typed incorrectly, whatever it may have mm-hmm. been, transcribed. So nowadays, they many times stand at a computer, thank goodness, and type in. So I'm reading letters that I could truly decipher, not, not anything else. But so back to the core of the question, what, what, do, uh, what do I do? I read them, and I'm going through them literally page by page, looking for things that are important for me to emphasize as part of my demand letter and my negotiations with the adjuster. Wow. That I'm just thinking that's so time-consuming and yet so necessary. Oh, it's imperative. The, the well, time that an attorney has to go through every single page, every single word. That's impressive. Yeah, and, and I'll say this, too, and, and this is not to bang my own drum, but it's true. I, I do go through them. Many attorneys never look at a single medical record until the case goes into litigation, and they only do it because they have to to get ready for a deposition. I need to know what's in there because yeah. I can't talk to the adjuster and them say, well, your client on the third visit to Dr. John Doe, they said this, and and I, I, I stammer because I've never read it. I don't know what's in there. So I want to know. I want to be prepared. I want to be a zealous advocate and know what to expect and anticipate those kind of things because I've read it. So we've talked about your four years of Latin, and we were sort of making a joke about that. But does that help in knowing what all the medical terms mean? I mean, you're reading all this. You have to know, yes. right, what some of the, the treatment and the medicines and how do you know what all that means? Yes, the, the Latin does help. That I will not say that's the only reason. Of but course. Yes, it does. It does help. In my opinion, what helps is experience. I can't tell you how many doctor's depositions I've taken over the years. I can't tell you. I don't know. I really don't know. And learning from doctors testifying about myalgia, myositis, cervicalgia, cephalgia, uh, spasms, all those things that, that you know, we hear those words occasionally but really don't know what they mean. I can tell you what all that means. Mm-hmm. I know the difference between an avulsion fracture, a compound fracture, a stress fracture, um, you know, a non-surgical injury as opposed to a surgical injury. Um, the success rate of certain procedures, I, those are things that you learn in taking depositions, sure. trying cases, understanding 
from a clinical standpoint, those things that only doctors will know. So I feel like, kind of like we're talking about having the legal education with this podcast, I feel like I've gotten some level of a medical education from taking all those depositions and being involved in, in so many cases where you learn terminology and you learn exactly what to anticipate in treatment. Well, I don't want to take anything away from a young attorney, but I think the experience here speaks for itself. So this is another Derek plug. And again, this is, you were a new attorney once, right? Everybody has to start somewhere, but having this experience, knowing what you do, pouring through every page and having the understanding makes you absolutely valuable. Well, to, you. you know, and I agree. I'm, I'm, I, there's no way to argue against that. No. It, it's true. I love it. All right. So, what else do you do before you send the demand letter? Well, I, one of the things I like to do is understand the treatment that the doctor gave the client. They're, they're called modalities. Modalities okay. are the kinds of treatments they use, uh, and it can be anything from uh, manual manual uh, uh, traction or adjustments or uh, therapies of all sorts. And I want to know what those are like. I want to know what my client experienced in that course of treatment. So you referenced the young attorney. What did I do back when I first started doing this? I went to the doctor. I learned from doctors because I had those treatments myself. I didn't need them. I wasn't in a car wreck. But I went specifically to chiropractors, to orthopedic doctors. I really? have very good friends that are uh, in all those in, in all those uh, uh, specialties. Uh-huh. And, and I said, what does this mean? What does that mean? How do you do this procedure? How do you do that procedure? Now, some, obviously, they're not going to do on you. Right. But, but you went the machines and, and things of that nature, yeah. I experienced the hydrotherapy. I did that. And so when I read in a medical record that they did you know, a certain kind of procedure for a client, uh, I go, oh, well, I know what that is. I did that. And I truly understand the purpose of that procedure having you know received that, that, that uh, modality. And mm-hmm. I know exactly what they the uh, expectation is for you know re- your recovery with that that's really neat i had no idea you did that learn something yeah, new every yeah. day about Derek. so that's a that's a, a tremendous tool too to, to know okay so we've got the modalities and what else what's the checklist that you either mentally go through or you go through as a procedure before the demand letter goes out to the insurance companies well i want to make sure i've got everything in there to create that best light possible i mentioned that earlier uh, things like photos, photos of the scene, photos of the injury, photos of the vehicles, photos of anything and everything that can represent truly what went on that day. If the wreck occurred at three o'clock in the afternoon on a uh, you know early summer day, I want to know what the position of the sun is on that day. Is the sun a factor? So I will have an investigator go out or go out or I'll go out personally and take photographs to see where the position of the sun is at that intersection at that time on that day, especially if the defendant claims that it was a sun issue. Mm-hmm. Was it really? Uh, lost wages. I want to follow up on that. Make sure we get the entire accounting of any lost wages my client has. Witness statements. I reference getting those early on. I want to. I want to already go ahead and tie that person down soon after the car wreck so we know what they saw and who they blame for the wreck and what they may have heard the the party say at the scene. Um, arrest reports for the defendants. A lot of people don't think about that. If that defendant driver has a history of bad conduct that can potentially be admissible at trial, well, I want to know about it. And it's something I want to utilize in my negotiating with the adjuster. Uh, prior record for the defendant as far as car wrecks. Uh, are they notorious for being a habitually reckless and dangerous driver? I want to use that against Absolutely. Them. And verdicts on similar cases. If I've tried a case or I've settled a case that is 
uh, somewhat similar in facts, the injuries, the medical expense, the the county where the lawsuit would be filed, those kind of things. Well, I'm going to attach that to the demand letter or use that as I negotiate the claim with the adjuster. You know, this is what happened the last time I dealt with this kind of case. This was the outcome. So, yeah. it, again, ex- experience, all Absolutely. those things can tie into that. And that's all things, especially the verdicts on other cases. We don't know those things. Right, we, right. the layman's person, you know, no I, I would adjuster, have no idea, uh, you know, anything similar. Yeah, so. when an adjuster says, well, uh, this case isn't worth that, the juries aren't doing that. Right. And then I show them where they did do that. Well, that makes a big difference. Sure does. All right. Once the demand letter is sent, then what happens? Negotiating. Okay. Once the demand letter is sent, I'm in position, because of all the things we've done leading into this, to know the facts of my claim, period. I know the facts better than the adjuster, and that's important. So when they make their first offer and they give me what they feel like are their counterpoints from a defense standpoint as to why they've offered what they have to justify their offer, then I can hit each one of those counterpoints with additional facts and information to attack and, more importantly, to increase the value of the claim. Are all negotiations the same? No. No. And, and and I say that because it depends on the insurance company. Sure. It depends on the adjuster. Depends I on the reg. Right. I or, will yeah, not name the, the insurance company, but there is one insurance company <laughs> that is notorious for making a minimum of four moves before they commit to a top offer. Uh-oh. Which is honestly kind sure. of silly. But no matter what, they will always make at least four moves before they get to a top offer. I know one adjuster who... I've dealt with now for many, many years, and when I have him on a claim, he will call me, and he will say, this is my first offer, and this is my top authority. I don't care how we get there or when we get there, but this is where I'm headed, because we have Mm -hmm. dealt with each other long enough, and he knows my experience and knows what my expectation will be, so it makes it easier. It makes it quicker, and, and many times we're able to settle those, but if we're not, we will file suit. That's great. Not that you have to file suit, that you have that kind of rapport uh, because of your expertise. What separates your firm from others when it comes to negotiating claims? We've said it, and that's experience. Yes. Zealous advocate experience, knowing the facts, understanding the facts, uh, having talked to my client from the very beginning to know where they are and where they've come. You know, many times clients will find full recovery, and that's great, but unfortunately, a very high percentage of times, clients never completely recover. I need to know that. Uh, I will file suit if I have to, but I will not file suit just to increase my fee, period. Unfortunately, far too many times, attorneys will do that. That's ridiculous. That is a disservice to your client to file suit just to increase your own fee. So going back to that statistic, what did you say, 90 to 95% settle before filing suit. Correct. So I would think a huge red flag would be if you hire an attorney, you have not gone with Derek, shame, shame, and they file suit right away. Yeah. Or, because or, knowing you know, that stat, they should not have to. No, they shouldn't. No, they, they should be able to resolve the claim. Now, there may be reasons to file suit, don't get me wrong, early on. Okay. But for the most part, they're not. And it's intended simply to increase that fee. Um, you know, not addressing punitive damages or not knowing how to find punitive damages in a claim is also what separates me from other firms. If they don't know how to find punitive value in a case, I do. I've mm-hmm. been there. I've done that. Punitive value is punitive damages are designed to punish a defendant for what we refer to as egregious conduct. Like, for example, a DUI, reckless driving, hit and run, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And I know what needs to be done to make sure we not only go after those damages, but we maximize that part. Bad faith damages, where an insurance company acts in bad faith, it opens the door for a direct action against them 
for not resolving a claim that should otherwise have been resolved or for addressing it with bad faith. And I'll be happy to discuss that in your case to see whether or not bad faith applies. Um, you know, having prior successful experiences at trial or with prior claims against the same insurance company helps tremendously. I will say this not to brag or boast, but I have never lost a trial. Never. I've never lost a trial. It's knowing how to preside, uh, pres preside. knowing how to present that. <laughs> the judge presides. Right. <laughs> knowing how to present that case in such yeah. a way that you can find that recovery. Uh, and adjusters really do know what to expect from certain attorneys. And they've learned what they can get away with some other attorneys, but they also know what I'm going to do. And they know my experience and, and the fact that I will fight for my client when necessary and most importantly every single time to maximize that recovery well Derek thank you so much again for your time and for such an informative show absolutely wonderful so I'm going to turn it over to you to tell everyone listening how can they contact you we've told them every reason that they need to and not as a plug as an informative session to go through this process and and really help all of us listening to realize why contacting an attorney is so important and also contacting one with expertise such as your own yes and there's many many more things we could have discussed today to go even deeper in this and we'll get to some of those things in future podcasts sure. but uh, call my office it starts with that call my office my number is 404-777-HURT or 678-225-0970 unlike other attorneys I like to talk on the phone with clients I want to know about it and I mentioned that in the podcast uh, so if I'm there and I'm available, I assure you I will speak with you. If I'm not, I will get back to you as soon as possible and talk about your claim and whether or not I can help you. You can also find me on my website. That's Derek, D-E-R-E-K, the letter M as in Matthew, Hayes, H-A-Y-S dot com. So Derek M. Hayes dot com. You can uh, email me from my website. You can send me a, a note in the podcast tab. There's a chat feature on the website. So you can reach me any of those ways as well. Also, my social media, Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. That's on Facebook or on Instagram. And The Injury Insider the Injury is also Insider. on right. yeah. Facebook and Instagram. Good point. Yeah. The Injury so Insider with Derek Hayes. Is, you can find Derek. Yeah, Instagram and Facebook. Him. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes, presented by Status Home Design and the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. Don't forget that you can enjoy any of our episodes anytime by visiting businessradiox.com, selecting the Gwinnett Studio, and then clicking on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. This program is also available on your favorite podcast app. Until next time for Derek Hayes, I'm Lita Brooks and you've been listening to Injury Insider on Business Radio X. Mm -hmm.